and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We do have a new stage, if y'all may not have noticed. I did not suddenly get taller. Uh, when John left, we realized that the height of our preaching team suddenly decreased overnight. <laughs> and so we needed to find some way to compensate for that. Um, so my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Uh, good to be with y'all here this morning. Good to have y'all in the vine. As I was doing my devotional this morning, usually what I do before Sunday morning is I'll read scripture, pray, and usually sing a worship song. And the, the song the Lord led me to this morning was uh, The Heart of Worship by Matt Redman, that super old song I was like back when I was in youth group. And I was like, all right, Lord, this is a random 20-year-old song. Why are you bringing it up now? And then the screens didn't work. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's not about the screens. It's about our heart before the Lord. And so we are in the second week of our Pursuing Perfection sermon series. We're looking at uh, the ways in which we are called to be different from the world around us. We're looking at the ways in which Jesus calls us to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And last week we talked about what does it mean to pursue perfection and holiness? What does it mean to be perfected in love? What does it mean to pursue sanctification and holiness? And so today we're going to be looking at what is it, how is, uh, how is our identity the basis of pursuing perfection? For those who may not know, I am a preacher's kid. My dad was a pastor. I grew up, and I, I loved being a preacher's kid. I know some didn't really like it, but I grew up, and I really loved it. Uh, we were actually talking in the clergy meeting this morning. My favorite part about being a preacher's kid was all the really good Astros tickets that people would give my dad, and we would get to go see the Astros game, like, super close, and that was one of my favorite parts. But what I also loved about being a preacher's kid is, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really have the perspective that adults do. And I was like, this is my church. I run the church here. Uh, everyone knew who I was. I loved getting to run around and not having to introduce myself to anyone because they all knew who I was. It was absolutely one of my favorite parts. And as I grew up, what I found is my identity had been so shaped by being a preacher's kid that I tried to be perfect in every aspect of my life that I tried to make sure that I was always a good reflection of my dad, and so I would always beat myself up if I made a mistake. And that I had so built my value and my worth and my identity as a preacher's kid that when I went off to college up in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, in a no-name town, I went to church that first Sunday, and it was the first Sunday I had been to church that no one knew who my dad was. And no one came and talked to me. No one said hi to me. No one knew who I was. And it, it was a shock to my system. And I was like, this is weird. I don't really like this. I don't like not knowing, uh, not going to a place and having no one know who I am. This is not okay. And what I realized as I went back to church more and more, and I had to reckon with the fact that I had so built my identity around being a preacher's kid. I'd so built who I was around the fact of who my dad was. And suddenly when I was taken away, it was like a shock to my system of who am I really? Am I really Jim Bass's son? Is that my primary identification or am I Jeremy Bass? Am I someone who's different? And so I had to learn in college 
to undo this identity problem that I had built. And so today's scripture uh, is not going to be on the screens, so this is why you should always bring your Bible with you in case there's no screens on the... So our scripture reading is going to be from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And Peter gets at the heart of the Christian identity for the people he's writing to. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you had no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And the book of 1 Peter was written to a persecuted church. It was one of the last things that Peter wrote before he died was First and Second Peter. And he writes this to a church in the middle of persecution. And the book of 1 Peter really tackles and deals with the issue, how do we as Christians understand suffering in light of a resurrected Jesus? And he really attacks that. And in the church that's undergoing persecution, Peter says to his people, these are the things that you can hold on to in the middle of all this. That these are the things that you can hold on to in the middle of this. And one thing that Peter identifies is that the churches that he was writing to had an identity problem. That's something that we can say about us in the church today, that we as a church have an identity problem. Our identity and who we ought to be is constantly being shaped by the world around us. It's always being shaped by the world around us. If we had screens, I would show you the image of our sermon series, which is like a 1950s reader digest cover of what the perfect family is like. And it's getting at this idea that this is kind of the cultural projection of what perfection should be. This is the cultural projection of who you ought to be. This is what your identity ought to be. And we also have social media shaping about who we ought to be, and you have to look like this person or this person. And culture is constantly giving us these voices of where we should place our identity in and who we ought to be. By our success in school, our success in work, whether we've got a promotion recently, our kids' success even, whether we're Democrat or a Republican, a Texan, an American, or even an Aggie. Where are we getting our identity from? What is fundamentally shaping and forming us? What are the voices that we are letting tell us who we are and whose we are? In the church, so often we let these outside voices be the primary driver of our lives. We let these outside voices be the things that shape and form us. We love to take these secondary identities, and there's nothing wrong with these identities, but we, they're secondary. But so often what we do is we take these secondary identities and we make them the primary one. Scripture tells us that we need to do the opposite. First Peter, going back to our scripture, you are not like that. You are a chosen people, royal priests, you are royal priests. You are a chosen people. God's very own possession. Going down to verse 10. Once you had no identity. 
Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. We as a church have forgotten who we are and whose we are. We've become confused about our mission. We've forgotten our roots. We've lost our boldness and have become fearful of the future. It's because we lost our identity of who we are and whose we are. And this is where Peter here in the text reminds his audience, remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Remember who God has called you to be and who God has created you to be in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution. Remember who you are. This past week, I was at a coffee shop working on this sermon. Uh, I sometimes do that because I get bothered a lot at the office. Uh, If I work with you, I love you. Uh, But sometimes I just need to get away and focus on writing the sermon. So I was at a coffee shop this week, and there was this guy just sitting at a table there. And I glanced at him, and then I felt the Lord say, "Uh, Hey, Jeremy, I want you to go give that person a word for me. And I was like, nope, Jesus, uh, that is not happening. Uh, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. I, you know what? I really don't believe that that's you talking to me. This is just a blessed thought that I'm having. Uh, there is no way that I'm going to just go to a random stranger in the middle of this coffee shop and tell him what you want me to tell him. I'm not going to do that. You know why? Look at all these people around me, Jesus. Can't you see all these people around me? I'm going to suddenly be that weird Christian person who goes to you and say, hey, uh, Jesus wants me to say this to you. That's now going to be me, Jesus. I'm not going to do that. Don't you know how fool? That's just always running through my head, and I'm arguing back and forth with the Lord. I can't do this. Don't you know how stupid I'll look? Don't, what if this isn't even you and I just look like a moron? Why? I can't do this. And then I realized that I was letting the opinions of the world and the opinions of others shape my actions. That if I was truly rooted in my identity as a child of God, that if I was truly enthralled with knowing that Jesus profoundly loves me, then I would go without hesitation. That would be an easy choice to just go and obey. But because I had let the world define my status, I had let the world define my identity, I was just so fearful. What would others think of me, Jesus? That's not what the world says Christians ought to do. And so I let that be the primary driver and focus of my life. I eventually did go talk to him, um, just a little sidebar. I, I was obedient to the Lord. It just took a while. Um, I was reading this book called uh, Ministry in the Image of God. One of my professors wrote it, and it's talking about how can we look at the Trinity and learn lessons of ministry just from the Trinity. And one of the chapters is called Joyful Intimacy. And he writes in that chapter about how we as a church, that whenever we do ministry, whenever we do the work that God has called us to do, that ministry is not just what I do. Ministry is anything that Jesus calls you to do. That whenever we do the work that God has called us to do, we need to do it from a place of knowing that we are profoundly loved by God. And he has this quote, that God wants us to be something before he wants us to do something.
for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. at IHOP. God wants us to be something before he wants us to do something. And this is what 1 Peter is getting at here. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. The NIV says you are God's special possession, that this is who you are. That if we're going to be people who pursue perfection and pursue holiness and pursue sanctification and pursue the things that God wants for us, we have to realize that the God who is calling us to pursue this profoundly and deeply loves us. And that is the basis on which we build everything else. That, friends, we are a people. We are a people who are deeply and profoundly loved by God. We are people who are profoundly and deeply loved by God. This is the bedrock on which we ought to stand. That if we're going to be different from that cultural image of perfection, if we're going to be different from those around us, then what we need to do is let that love of God deeply be in our hearts. That way, when Jesus says, go and talk to that stranger in a coffee shop, we say, Jesus, I know you love me. I know you care for me and I'll do what you say and I don't care what anyone thinks because all I care about is what you say of me. And I know what you say of me is I am loved, I am chosen, I am yours. If we're gonna pursue holiness and sanctification and run headlong to where God is calling us, not just as an individual, but headlong into where God is calling us as a church to reach the community around us for the kingdom of God, We need to know who we are and whose we are. Because knowing who we are allows us to look at the world around us and hear all the voices that we're constantly being bombarded with. We can't escape the noise of the world. It's what monasteries and monks are for. And we're not called to be monks. We're called to be missionaries who go into the voices and proclaim a different message that if we're going to be able to resist and stand these different voices that are trying to shape and form us, we have to deeply and profoundly know in our soul and in our heart that we are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Because knowing this allows us to proclaim a different witness. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. We are people who belong to God. And so how do we get this new identity? How do we get this new identity? Friends, we open ourselves up to the one who's pursuing after us. We talk about pursuing perfection. We first have to realize that we serve a God who pursued after us that we serve a God who made a way for us, that we serve a God who makes us holy, that we serve a God who pursues after our heart. Romans 5 says this, Romans 5, 5 through 8. Paul writes, 
And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would, be, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though for someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That God's love for us and our identity in him is not something we have to strive to earn or beg or plead. It's not like we're constantly trying to earn God's love or say, please, if I do this, will you love me? Because he proves his love for us by sending Jesus on the cross to die for us while we were his enemies. It says in Romans 5.5, I like the way the NIV translates it, that the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with his love. It pours out. That that Greek word is just this idea of like a jar just being poured out into our hearts. That that is what Jesus does to our hearts. That we can't muster up, we can't do uh, self-help to get a better identity. We need a divine intervention by the Holy Spirit to come and fill and transform our hearts. You know about John Wesley. I've talked about him extensively in the last sermon. I talk about him a good amount. Uh, but you may, know, may not know his brother Charles. Uh, you may have heard of the Aldersgate transformation where John writes about his heart being strangely warmed. But Charles, his brother, also had sort of this divine encounter with the Lord just a few days before John did. And he writes about uh, how God poured his love into Charles's heart. And Charles wrote that, I knew deep within my soul that Christ loved me and died for me, that he had understood it in his head, but it had not sunk down into his heart until the Lord came and blessed him with that assurance of salvation, that assurance of his love for him. We don't have to beg and plead for God to do this. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 3 I read this at the end of the service last week. It says this, I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Why don't you catch that again? To you who have been called by God to be his holy people, he made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Uh, If you may not know the book of Corinthians, uh, you would know that the church of Corinth was anything but holy. That Paul will then go on to talk about all the rampant immorality that is going on in the church of Corinth. Things that would make us shocked. Things that would make us blush today when we read it. In fact, they were so bad and they didn't get it the first time that Paul had to then write them another letter to make sure that they got it because they didn't get it the first time. That if Paul can write to the church of Corinth before he just talks about all their sin, Paul says to them before that, you are called to be God's holy people. That Jesus made you holy. 
that he made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Because pursuing holiness, pursuing sanctification is about living into who God has already made us to be. That when Jesus pours his love into our heart, that that love then pours out through holiness and righteousness. We just have to keep asking until we experience that profound transformation in our hearts through grace. Oftentimes what we try to do, oh no, my thimble is gone. Oh, well, all right, well, we're just going to improv. Y'all want to improv with me? That's all right. So what we like to do with our good works is we think, you know, uh, I have to earn God's love. That my good works is what earn God's love. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to do a good work, and then I'm going to just put it in the jar, and then that's how I'll earn God's love. And God's love will eventually come. The more good works I do, uh, the more good things I do, God will eventually just pour enough love into my heart. But as you can see, even with my hands, the water just slips through my fingers. That we try to grasp onto it, and we just get little inklings of it. That we can't earn our way to God's love. But Romans 5.5, 5, for God loves us. And he pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and it just overflows. That the love of Christ is poured into our hearts like water's poured into a vase. It's poured out abundantly into our hearts. It's not something we earn and strive to work for, but it's poured into our hearts. And when the love of God is poured into our hearts, we know our status and our identity as a child of God. That when the love of God is poured into our soul, we know our identity as God's children. Dr. Siemens wrote this quote, that doing is the result of being, not the other way around. Doing is the result of being, not the other way around. We often flip that over, that we'll do things in hopes that we'll be someone. But God's call is, let me pour out my love into you. Let me show you who you are. Let me claim you as my own, because you are a chosen people, royal priesthood. You are mine. You are precious in my sight. Knowing our identity in Christ allows us to proclaim the works of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That this purpose of holiness and sanctification is not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. John Wesley's revival in England was a proclamation about fleeing from sin and pursuing holiness, and it transformed England during that time, and it led to this huge revival during his time. By focusing in on holiness and being who God called you to be and pursuing righteousness. And when that happened, it overflowed that when God pours his love into us and we know whose we are, we can't help but have it overflow into every aspect of our interactions with others. That to be a witness for this God, to be unafraid of when he says, go and tell this person that I love them, this stranger in a coffee shop, go and tell them that we say, yes, Lord, I will do it because I am yours. And I know that I am loved by you and there's nothing that this person can say. There's nothing that these people can say about me that can shake knowing deep within my soul that I am loved by you. 
Nothing will shake that. Do you get it? Friends, do you get it? Has this message gotten your heart? I'm going to invite the communion stewards up forward in the band. As we go through this time together of Holy Communion, as I was praying this week, I felt the Lord say that he wants to have those divine encounters with some people this week. That he wants to pour that divine love into people's hearts. And so friends, if you feel like you haven't experienced the love of the Lord, I would just pray, Lord, come and fill me with your love. Lord, have your Holy Spirit pour out your love within me. We would have response questions on the screen, but I'm just going to read them to you. Uh, So the two questions for this week as you pray and consider is, where is your identity rooted in? Where is your identity rooted in? The second is, has the love of God been poured into your heart, or are you still trying to earn that love? So friends, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was gathered with his friends around the table, and he took bread, and he looked his friends in the face, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, Eat in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to God the Father. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until, Jesus, you come in victory. And we feast at your heavenly banquet forever and ever. Amen.